Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, February the 10th, 2024. It is currently 1.13 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I have a very important assignment for you, all right? I don't know if you're willing to do this, right? Now, remember this program, I always like listeners who are participating. I don't like passive listeners. I always want you involved in some way, shape, or form. So if you can, now, you may ask everyone in your family to go walk away. You you don't want them to be around you, all right? You want them to, to move across the room or to another room, but I would need you to get a piece of paper. Now, this is one of those situations where you can write using anything. I'm not going to require a pencil. Now, once you realize what you're writing down, you may want a pencil because you're probably going to want to erase everything you're about to write down. But I want you to get a piece of paper. I really want you to do this. I want you to get a piece of paper. I want you to get a piece of paper. You can use pen. You can use marker. I don't care what you use. But now you're you're probably going to want to destroy this in just a few minutes. But I want you. It, it is Saturday, right? I want you to think back to Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then today. I want you to think about this entire week that just happened. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then today up to this point, and I want you, I really want you to do this. I don't know how many are going to actively participate in this. I want you to start making a list of all the sins you have committed this week. I, I, I want you to be honest with them. Now, these are sins that are external. These are sins that are internal. These are sins you committed in thought word. And these are sins you've committed indeed. These are sins you've committed by what you have done and by what you have left undone. I want you to just start making a list of all the sins you have committed. Oh, come on. Have you loved God with all your heart, mind, and body, and soul this week? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you put others before yourself? Have you had any bitterness Anger. Have you said anything in anger? Thought things in anger. I could go on and on and on. Have you turned the other cheek? I could go, oh, Jesus said, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Have you been perfect? Oh, wait, the Bible says, be holy as he is holy. Have you been as holy as God is holy this week? I want you to start writing down everything. What has been in your mind? What has been in your heart? Write it down. I literally want you, I want you to write it down and I want you to look at it. I want you to look at it. Start writing. Oh, come on. It should not take you long to think about. Okay. In fact, if it takes you a long time to think about what you may want to write down is number one is I'm self-deceived and I think that I'm better than I actually am. Okay. All right. Start writing down your sins. Start just making a list of them. Start making a long list of them, all right? You don't have to get every single one, but I want you to at least make a good list. Now, as soon as you get the list written down, before someone comes and looks at your list, you can go ahead and, you know, burn it, tear it into shreds, shred it, whatever you need to do. But I want you to to at least take a minute to look at all of the sins you have committed this week. Now, I want you to take that reality of all the sins you've committed this week, And I want you to contrast that reality 
with the way Christianity constantly sells itself. Because Christianity constantly sells itself as something like this. When you become a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, you have been set free from the power of sin. Now you can obey God. You can say no to temptation. You have become a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. That is how it's preached. That is how it's sold. That's the info commercial. Now, wait a minute. If that's the way it's sold, why do you keep sinning? Why do you keep sinning over and over and over? Some of you have been saved 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. There's probably some of you listening who've been saved 30 years at this point. Why? Why is it that you just keep sinning over and over and over again? And remember, if you sin and one, if you violate and break one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're a perpetual lawbreaker. I'm going to tell you, you're perpetually in sin. You never love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You never love your neighbor as yourself. You rarely put anyone else before others. You rarely, I mean, you know, you always put yourself before others. You rarely put others before yourself. Got to make sure I state that correctly. You're guilty of spiritual adultery. We Remember, we're doing 21 days in the Minor Prophets? Hosea is all about that spiritual adultery. Oh, come on. You've been a spiritual adulterer this week and a, an adulteress this week. You know you have. You know you've got idolatry in your heart. You know you put other things before God. I don't know why we pretend. But we sell Christianity that, hey, you can do it. Now, what's weird is Christianity does this, they play this really weird game, right? Hey, you're a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. Everything is new. Well, I mean, you're still going to sin and you still have a sinful nature. Well, that doesn't sound like everything is new. So obviously the only way to understand that passage is to understand that that is true positionally. It's not true practically. Then they'll say, you've been set free from the power of sin. Well, positionally I have. Practically, if I've been set free from the power of sin, then I should be able to be, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll please, sinless. Clearly you're not. So clearly if something is keeping you from being sinless, then it still has power over you. You've not been set free from the power of it. You've been set free from the power positionally, not practically. Christians love to say that if you're truly saved, you'll do this, 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 this. And then they come along and say, but, 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 but you won't do that perfectly. Well then, so so it, it, they, they can never really explain it. It's always this really subjective back and forth kind of concept. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is we're currently in a mini series where we're considering and we're talking about being well, about succeeding against sin. And the whole reason we're doing this mini series is because I was reading the Sword of the Lord newspaper. Yeah, an actual newspaper. Remember I told everyone to subscribe to this paper just because you would actually have a newspaper showing up at your house and you could show people, hey, back in the olden days, this is how you, we, you know, you get your news, this and maybe radio. Okay. So, but this is not about news. I mean, there's news in the Sword of the Lord newspaper, but it's about sermons, devotional materials, and those kinds of things. And they also have advertisements in it. And one of the advertisements is for making a difference. It's a radio program that airs on FBN Radio at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, but it is also a podcast. 
making a difference from Sword of the Lord. And so I saw that and I looked up the podcast. I already knew about the podcast, but I had forgotten about it or I haven't been listening to it. And then I just started looking at recent episodes and I saw one called Succeeding Against Sin. And I'm like, oh, I want to hear this because if they've figured out how I can succeed against sin, I need to hear this because you would think when you say succeeding against sin, if I can succeed against sin, there would be only one way in my brain then I would measure that success, right? If I'm succeeding against sin, that would mean I'm not sinning, right? I'm not succeeding against sin if I'm continuing to sin. Now, maybe you're saying I can succeed against a specific sin, which I guess is great from a practical standpoint, right? If there's a really bad sin and I'm succeeding against that sin, yes, then that may... Obviously, that will bring more more positive things in my life than negative. Typically, when I'm not succeeding against certain sins, the potential for, you know, bad things to happen in my life. So, so I can understand from a human perspective that we can say, well, I'm succeeding over this sin. But from a purely theological perspective, I don't know how we measure succeeding against sin. Name, look at all, just write out five big sins. Let's say you're succeeding uh, against all five of them. From a theological perspective, you're still sinning though. You're still a sinner. And if you break one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. You're in a perpetual, you're a perpetual lawbreaker. Now that doesn't mean then I should, I'm saying that we should throw up our arms and say, well, just do whatever I want. I'm not saying that. We obviously are in a battle, but I think we have to have a way of being much more honest about what it is that we can achieve and and being honest about what we cannot achieve. What we can't achieve is sinlessness. What we can't achieve is sinless perfection. What we can't achieve is true obedience. What we can't achieve is ever truly truly loving God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. I know many Christians will argue and say, you can accomplish that. But every time I've ever heard someone say that they can, they also admit that they don't. So then why don't they? They also say that we can't do it in our own strength, but with God, we can. Well, if God is the one who gives us the strength to do it, well, then every Christian you think, not only is it possible, it should be probable then that we're sinless. But no, so no one ever has any valid answers here. I think the answers are our salvation first and foremost impacts us positionally because we're saved by an imputed righteousness. We are not saved by an infused righteousness, which is Roman Catholicism. And because we're saved by an imputed righteousness, then the main difference is our positional standing. Practically, we still have a sinful nature, and therefore we will continue to sin. However, we've been listening to this program, this this podcast. So in part one, we started reviewing this podcast episode called Succeeding Against Sin. And the first one, they they didn't do it. They didn't really help us much, right? They talked about that we can succeed, but they also admitted that we're still going to to sin. So it was really kind of like, and then they kind of built up like where we're going to get the answer and we never really got the answer. Supposedly the answer is found in Psalm 119. And I told you what I thought they were going to tell us to do. So basically it seems that you can succeed against sin, but your success against sin depends on what you, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do that. There's a checklist, 
But it seemed like even if you meet the, even if you accomplish the checklist, you're still never going to truly succeed against sin. So I don't know why this is called succeeding against sin, because it seems that they've already acknowledged we're never truly going to succeed against sin. But well, we've made it this far, so we're going to continue. All right. So are you ready? Here we go. This is part two of succeeding against sin from the Making a Difference podcast. We're going to review this. Now, remember, these episodes are relatively short, but that doesn't mean my review will be short. All right. So here we go. You should look up Making a Difference uh, podcast. You should subscribe to it on all of your podcasting apps because, well, even though I don't always agree with everything they say, uh, it's one of those programs that comes in very handy when you're really busy and you don't have a lot, you you have a lot to do and you just like, I need, I need some kind of spiritual nourishment. It's like 15 minutes, Monday through Friday. You can't beat that, right? Those are the kinds of programs that you you just need to have them like, like a group of them saved. So when you're like, wow, man, I got a lot to do today. Okay, I can listen to this. And at least you get something. There's a number of those kinds of programs. You know, you, you should compile a list of those kinds of programs because when you're really busy, you can grab one or two of those. You can listen to two separate programs, maybe in a 30-minute time period. You could probably listen to three programs in a 45-minute, probably four in an hour. You could probably listen to more programs than you could in one sermon. So there are days you don't really have time to listen to a full sermon and those work out perfectly. So, are you ready? Here we go. Succeeding Against Sin, Part 2. There is a song in my heart today, something I never had. Jesus has taken my sins away. From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, here in the southern suburbs of Nashville, in the heart of Tennessee, with Tennessee and the world at heart, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. We're delighted to welcome you today. It's a joy to be here at this microphone five days a week, and I'm so pleased that so many, many of you join us from various places all across North America and around the world because our social media sites give us some feedback as to where people are listening. I know that we have listeners in the Netherlands, and uh, those of you who are listening there in that European nation, we are delighted to welcome you. We salute you. Give a full shout out today. And uh, listen, there are folks in the Netherlands, no doubt, who would be delighted. Why don't you spread the word and tell your family and friends? And again, God bless you and thank you for being our friends there in the Netherlands. Uh, it's just funny. He's like their social media site gives them information about where they're listening. You you have a podcast. Your, your podcast statistics should show you as well. I uh, that I may I may have to. They should put their program on on the uh, sermon uh, sermon audio platform. They really should put their program on sermonaudio.com. They really should. I mean, it would fit perfectly there, right? Right. They they would agree with the statement of faith. I, I think they really should. I, I so if you if you look up making the difference podcast and you can find their webpage and, and contact information, you should you should encourage them to place their content on the on the sermon audio platform. So well, then it just makes it easier to add that to your sermons 2.0 app feed, right? Do you use your sermons 2.0 app feed? Do you? 
You should. Now, what you should see in your feed every day is Theology Central. You should, but, but, yeah, so you should use that. All right, but let, let's, let's continue. Now, today we're going to hear part two of the message we started yesterday entitled, Succeeding Against Your Most Stubborn Sin. This ought to be a help to you. Temptations come, and when they do, we need to have a game plan for dealing with it, and that's what this message is about. So here we go with part two, Succeeding Against Your Most Stubborn Sin. Now, before he gets there, once again, I'm going to challenge the normal perception the normal approach that people take within the evangelical Christian fundamentalist world when it comes to sin. They always speak of it as everything's external and that these temptations will come. Let me just state this clearly, all right? Yes, I do believe in external temptations. I do believe there's lots of external things that pull against us. But our issue is not the external. The issue is the internal. We, you, me, us, as an individual, you, your nature is your greatest source of temptation. Your nature constantly fights against God's word and God's will because your nature wants to exalt self, serve self, please self. It wants self to be worshiped. It wants self to be taken care of. You have a perpetual source of temptation and it arises from within. In fact, if you did not have an internal sinful nature, external temptation would be much, it would have very little effect. It could still have some effect because we see that with Adam and Eve. They did not have a sinful nature, right? Because they, they, they had, the fall had not occurred yet. So they, they were more like, you know, Eve, it's talked about she was deceived or she was tricked, right? So that, that external temptation was there and had to kind of manipulate and, and pull her towards it, but there was nothing inside that necessarily gravitated towards sin itself. So she was in, Adam and Eve was in a far much better place than we are, yet they still sinned. But you and I, our situation is radically different. Our problem is we have an, an internal source of temptation. In fact, it is the, it is the, internal reality that makes the external temptation so difficult. You, whatever is tempting you externally, it, the, re the reason it's tempting you so much externally is because of something going on inside of you internally. You have an internal sinful nature. You have a heart that is wicked. You have a heart that is deceptive above all things. You have these fleshly appetites, these fleshly desires. So you, I, I do, I do agree that we need to be on the lookout for external temptations and we need to have a strategy to deal with it, but we just need to realize that the problem is inside. I know I use this. I say this every single time. It's almost, I, I repeat it way too much, but I, it's just, I'm going to continue to use it. The call is coming from inside the house. It, the, the danger is inside. Now, how do you fight the internal source of temptation? Well, the Bible calls us to try to die to self and deny self. It's a never-ending battle with ourself. He seems to say temptations are going to come. Now, maybe he's re referencing the temptations that arise from within, but it's not that they come and go. 
it's always there in some way, shape, or form. It's not that temptations come and go. You're always, you're perpetually being tempted because your nature perpetually wants something other than what God wants. That, that's just something for you to consider. And so here we are, this battle, this struggle going on, and whenever we yield and succumb to the pressure to do that, then sin has taken its root and dwells in us. He said, I find then a law that when I do good, evil is present with me. Even though he said, I'm doing good. Even though I'm headed on the right track, yet there is always lurking that evil presence that would lure me. He said, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. It's in my heart to follow the law of God. But I see another war, a law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who now he's quoting from Romans 7. He's quoting from Romans 7. If you don't remember part one, you can go back. And uh, what I would really challenge you to do is just go back and listen to Making a Difference podcast and listen to part one, part two. There's three parts to this and listen to all of them together without my commentary so that you can get a better understanding of his perspective. Because I want you to understand his perspective. There, I, obviously, I'm offering somewhat of a slightly different perspective, maybe a completely different perspective. But I look, I do appreciate he's quoting Romans 7 because I do agree. Look, now that I'm a Christian, yes, there's now this desire and will to want to follow God, but the sinful nature is still very much alive and present. So we have this internal struggle. We have this internal struggle. He's at least acknowledging that. You shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And he's, again, not justifying any sin. He's not justifying any lack on our part, but he's simply saying there's a struggle, there's a battle. It's one that every person in this room is aware of and familiar with and knows and understands because you've been through it so many, many times. I am so grateful that he quoted the last verse of Romans chapter 7 so many times. It is ignored. I'm going to read it. Romans chapter 7, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. So in my mind, I'm serving the law of God. And why the mind? Because I believe when we, if we really get into a huge discussion about repentance, repentance is a change of mind. My mind now acknowledges right and wrong. My mind acknowledges there's a God. My mind acknowledges there is sin. And with my mind, I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to follow him. But then look what he says. I, uh, so with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. My mind has been changed, but my flesh, my sinful nature is still very much present and my sinful nature will continue to pursue the law of sin, continue to pursue selfishness, will continue to pursue self-worship, self-gratification, self-pleasure, self-exaltation. But my mind will be, again. there's the reality. Now, that's the reality that is not sold in the info commercial Christianity that says, no, come to Jesus and you're a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. Positionally, not practically. Practically, I'm, I have this major now civil war going on inside of me. 
Christians say you're delivered from the power of sin. Practically. No, I'm not delivered from the power of sin practically, because if I was delivered from the power of sin practically, then there would be no power keeping me from sinlessness. But I'm still sinful. Therefore, there is a power still at work, and that power is my sinful nature, my flesh. This is the reality. And you say, well, that, well, then what does Christianity do for you? It puts me in a positional standing before God that is perfect, holy, and righteous with the hope that one day I will have a new body, glorification, and then there will be no more sin, no more death, no more pain, and no more tears. But in the meantime, I live in this very, at times, frustrating reality that I'm going to still sin, and I live that out in the presence of a church and a form of Christianity that seems to be ignorant or deny the reality that we're all sinners and everyone's going to sin from the top to the bottom. Everyone's going to sin. But we have this idea that, no, we don't. We're good and everyone else is bad. Uh, No, we still sin. Now we come back to look at this text in Psalm 119. In verse 9, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The question is stated, by what means, how do we cleanse our way? It's a proper question. Here is someone described in this passage whose heart is sinful, whose life is offensive, thoughts are impure, habits are dirty, conversation is foul, and on and on and on he goes. Not clean, unclean. So it's a proper question. How can a person cleanse his way? It's right to the point of the matter. Touches the most basic need that we have. Because we understand we're sinful creatures at heart. And how do we deal with that? And I believe the very nature of this question, it is a priority question because everything is pulling toward doing the wrong thing. Sometimes your eyes pull the wrong way. Sometimes your ears pull the wrong way. Sometimes your feet, sometimes your hands. They all get unruly. And you say, how can I be clean when everything is pulling in the wrong direction? And make sure we know everything is pulling in the wrong direction, not because of the external, but because of the internal. Right now, he says, Psalm 119.9, you know, puts forth the question, how then shall you cleanse your way? Now, the answer in nine is by taking heed according to, to thy word. Now that sounds like such a simple answer. Hey, hey, you want to cleanse your way? Take heed to God's word. Now here's what I think. We should strive to take heed to God's word. We should, we should, we should. But I think at the very best, it, like if we if we were if we were to look at the like absolute best possible outcome, we can only take heed to God's word at its very best in an external way, and even that is never going to be fully, uh, well, we already know. We already know we cannot completely take heed to God's word because if we could, we would be sinless. So obviously we know that there's a limit to taking heed to God's word, but at our very best, I think the best we could do is only take heed to it from an external perspective because internally, we're never truly gonna take heed to God's word because we have a sinful nature that's never going to take heed to it. And that's the reality that a lot of times Christians overlook. Let's see how he's going to handle this idea of taking heed to God's Word. What we're looking at here is no mere theory, but it's a very, very practical issue. How do we succeed over these very stubborn 
sins that are a part of the struggle every single day. I believe what we have here is a call for us to be decisive, to be definitive, and to give directed action, and plug in something, apply something that will work. And you say, well, what do I do? How do I do it? Well, the question is not only raised here, but thank God he gives us the kind of an answer that he gives us. And this is what he says. He says, a young man can cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to the word of God. Here's what he's telling us. Number one, he's saying, stop, take heed. There's a, there's a sign up. There's one of those little triangular signs or one of those little uh, stop signs or something that says, warning, there's danger ahead, that says, stop right now. Stop. In fact, it's the idea of halting your tracks. And uh, I picked that up because there's a, there's a, the word way in the, in the Hebrew text is a word that means rut or track. And he said, he's saying in here, take heed thereto according to thy word and thus cleanse his way. Stop in your tracks, he's saying. I'm reminded of Haggai's question in chapter 1 and verse 7 where he says, consider your ways. And it's the same idea. He's saying, take a look at the rut you're in. Take a look at the tracks that you're making. And stop in your tracks. Stand still for a moment. And then he's saying to us, when you stop and evaluate the situation, then take control of it. We, we spend too much time drifting. We just drift along and whatever breeze that blows moves us. Whatever pressure that comes, we, we submit to it. And he's saying, stop in your tracks, take control, and set a new course. Set a new course. And then start moving yourself toward the achievement of that goal. You go out onto the, to the river somewhere or out uh, on the Chesapeake, and you, you kill the engine and, and just let the, the uh, boat drift where will you go? Why, you're liable to wind up bumping into somebody else. You're liable to wind up with your, the, the, the boat up on the, on the shore or, or in at the wrong dock. You're liable to wind up in a lot of things if you just drift with whatever tides and currents that are going. And surely today, many folks seem to find that's the only thing to do. They just kind of get in the drift and the tide and they go with whatever tide there is. Now, see, I'm, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to struggle with this. It's not that we just drift. We may drift along with the currents that are out there, but the issue is the current that's inside of me. See, well, I think this is what we have to do. We have what's inside of us and we have God's word that's external to us. The reason we needed a written revelation is because it's external to me. See, any, if I, if I'm focusing on supposedly a word from God that's internal, well, then I'm going to have a problem because inside of me is a sinful heart that is deceptive above all things. So anything that's inside of me is corrupted by the sin that's inside of me. So that's why I don't want to try to understand or take heed to anything internally because it, it, it's going to be all messed up. My desires are going to be mixed with it. My thoughts, it's going to be messed up. God's word is outside of me. It's external which is great, right? So what I'm supposed to do is look to God's word that's external to me and leave out my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, and my desires. Now, it's hard to do, but that's what we're supposed to do. It's external to me, right? It doesn't care about my feelings. It doesn't care about my emotions. So what am I to do? Well, I am to take heed according to God's word. I am to take heed. Why do I, what does it mean to take heed? Well, to take heed means to keep, it means to observe, um, it means to um, 
to hedge about, to guard, to protect, to beware, circumspect, take heed, look. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a law, an outline of biblical usage here in the interlinear is long, okay? But it's the main thing is to, to pay close attention to. So what I have to do is I have this internal current that will just take me wherever and probably lead me right to self-destruction because it's sinful. And then here's God's word that's outside of me. My job is to pick up God's word and take heed to it. And then by taking heed to it, I can say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a wrong way of thinking. That's a wrong desire. That's a wrong plan. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. I, I can at least acknowledge that it's wrong. I can at least see that it's wrong. I can at least be confronted with it. I, if I don't have God's word external to me, telling me that I'm wrong, internally, I will probably convince myself that I'm not wrong and that I'm doing things okay and that I'm, I'm pretty good. This comes along and that's why God's word is external. And then I'm to pick it up and go, oh, I'm going to need to take heed to that. And take heed is I'm, I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm going to look to it. I'm going to be like, man, why, 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 why do I think this? Why do I, why? Because of something deep inside of me. Not only because of my sinful nature, just because, you know, your own desires and wants and needs as a human being, right? I mean, they're there. I mean, you can't deny them. So that I think to me, the taking heed is like, it, this is really screams at why we need an external revelation, my Bible, see, my Bible sits right here on this table underneath the microphone, right? It's right here. Now, I need to try to get that word inside of me, but at least from this vantage point, just with Psalm 119.9, I take heed to it, meaning it's up to me every single day to come look at it, to come look at it. And as I look at it, right, then I am to say, okay, that's what it says, now I take heed to that and then how it may apply to this or that or that aspect of my life. See, internal word, that's going to be a mess. That's going to be a mess. We, we should be able to see that. External, that's great. Now my job is to take heed to it, to read it, to pay attention, to look at it. And if it's in, and that's that's why we believe in an external revelation. That's why we believe God's revelation is full and complete in the written word, and God has no is no longer speaking to us in any other manner because any other manner is not trustworthy. It's God's written word. Now the problem is we have to really take heed to it. We've got to be honest with what it says, and we are very prone and very capable of taking the external revelation and then twisting it and turning it to try to be in conformity to our internal desire and wants. That, that to me, is the more important aspect here. Let's see where he takes this. But we need to someday look at it and say, we've drifted long enough. We'll stop in this track. We will not go one step further in this direction. We'll refire the engines. We'll put somebody at the helm and get hold of that wheel and we will drive this thing against the tide and against the current if need be. But we will not yield. We'll not give in. We'll not be dominated by the flesh. We'll not be dominated by the devil. And we will not let a world that is drifting downhill take us that way when God says we ought to do different. See, he's once again putting it externally. This is what Christians constantly do and this drives me crazy. We're not going to let the world. It's... 
the world would have no influence on us. It's because of uh, other than because of what we have internally. It's the internal problem that we never want to acknowledge. And when he says, well, I'm not going to let the flesh dominate me and I'm not going to let this happen. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying that I can be sinless? Look, if I, 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 am, I just do not understand logic sometimes in the Christian world. You can't say, I'm not going to let the flesh dominate me. And then at the same time say, I can never reach sinlessness or perfection. If you can't reach sinlessness or perfection, then obviously sin is still dominating you because it's controlling you and not letting you get to this certain level. The thing that will not let you get somewhere is the dominant force. (laughs) Okay. I don't know how Christians try to argue. No, no. God is the one who's dominant now. Well, if God is the one dominant, then you should be sinless. No, Jesus saved us by an imputed righteousness, we are perfect in our position, but practically, look, whether I understand the reasons, whether I understand why, even whether I like to acknowledge it, the reality is sin still dominates us practically. We must fight against it how do we fight against it? Well, if we're going to use Psalm 119.9, by taking heed to the word. And the word says, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And then I try to fight against it. But I know that in that fight, look, I already know the outcome. The outcome is predetermined. That is, I'm never going to be totally victorious over it in this life practically. I will always be victorious over it positionally, and I will ultimately be victorious over it eternally. That doesn't mean I just give in. Now, this can be maddening, but I, I, I just, I can't play along with the Christian games anymore, right? Hey, just, I'm not going to take one step. He's just making it sound like all you have to do is just say, I'm not going to take one step further. I'm not going to drift along anymore. I'm not going to, you just, you just declare it and say it. Well, if it was that simple, we would all just say, that's it. I'm not going to sin anymore. But it, you can say, I'm not going to sin anymore. You can say it a hundred times today and you're still going to be sinning today. And you're going to be sinning tonight and you're going to be sinning tomorrow. In fact, you could be sitting there right now sinning as you're listening to me because who knows what you're feeling? Who knows what thoughts are in your mind? We take control. And I believe what these next verses say to us is that we ought to utilize the resources that God's made available and apply the Bible to every area of our life. Now, I do believe we should take control of what we can take control of. We should. We should do everything in our power to take control. But we remember, we just remember this. We ultimately cannot take ultimate control because if we could take ultimate control, then we would be sinless. But we are not. Now, some may say, well, you can sin less. Well, you can, but that's a very subjective human measurement. Because for every sin you stop doing from a human perspective, you're still sinning. And according to the Bible, if I'm guilty of one point of the law, I'm guilty of all of it. So I don't know how you truly measure that from a human, from a theological perspective. From a human perspective, you can say, well, I stopped doing that and I stopped doing that. Well, congratulate. Now, did you stop it externally or did you stop it internally?
Did you stop both? I mean, now it becomes very messy. How can a person cleanse his way? How can a person make clean that which is already made dirty? How can he do it? He says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. That means that the Bible is a big item in our dealing with the issue of sin. And here is something that has been so stubborn you thought you'd never do it again. But you did. And then you did it again, and then you did it again, and again, and again, and again. And you've asked God to forgive you so many times you're embarrassed to tell God again that you did it. Well, you ought not to be embarrassed to tell him that you did it. You ought to be embarrassed that you did it. But you ought to know that God already knows that you did it. And so you simply find the way in the vehicle for dealing with it as God says that you ought to deal with it. Now, here, here's a question. Here's a question. Christianity for basically 2,000 years has said over and over and over that the Bible is the key way in which we fight against sin. The Bible is the, the key thing. It is the source of our spiritual victory. Now, th that has been said over and over and over my entire Christian life. You need the Bible, you need the Bible, you need the Bible, you need the Bible. Now, we say that. Do you think by our actions in the church and outside the church that we truly believe that? Now, according to almost every time there's a study put forth, Christians are more biblically illiterate than they have ever been. Most Christians don't read the Bible on a consistent basis. Christians definitely don't study the Bible in meaningful studies using like utilizing an actual Bible study method and working a Bible study method. Most Christians don't spend much time doing that. Look at how much, how many churches cancel services and they don't have services where you would be actually engaged in the preaching of God's word or they minimize the preaching of God's word or shorten the preaching of God's word in many cases for fun, food, fellowship, and activity. Now, if we really believe, hey, guys, the only way we're going to be victorious over sin is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. You think if, if we really, 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 truly believe that, then we would read and study. But here's what I know. You can read and you can study 24 hours a day. Now, maybe because if you're doing it 24 hours a day, you don't have time to do too many other things. So maybe that would be a way to help keep you from sin. The point is, you can read and study all the time and you're still going to sin. Let me give you an example. You ready for this? Bible college. Oh, okay, that's where all of us are there to study the Bible and learn the Bible. And, and we're taking classes on Old Testament survey and New Testament survey and, and this book and this book and this doctrine and this course and hermeneutics and, and all of these Bible history, church history. Biblical languages, Greek, Hebrew, all that. We have chapel service, all of this stuff. So it is, it is October. I don't remember the exact year. I don't remember the exact year. It's in the 1990s. I'm at Grace University, Omaha, Nebraska. Now for Halloween that year, they were going to have this thing where you, everyone met at the, like the student union building. And then they were going, they were going to, they had things hid. I guess the, like pumpkins hid and different all over campus. And whoever could gather, find all of the pumpkins and bring them back. I can't remember the prize you won, but you just take off and go, right? There was no clues. You just got to find them all. So you're going through every building 
You're going through every building there and the buildings are dark and you're looking here and you're looking, you're going through classrooms, you're going through everything. I can't, I think we were in the dining facility is where we came through. We came through the, I think it was the dining facility and we come through and like, do you see anything? There was like two or three of us. Do you see anything? I don't see anything. And all of a sudden we rounded a corner and there on the floor behind one of the counters, Bible college, there was a guy and there was a girl. And they weren't looking for hidden pumpkins. They weren't engaged in full-blown sex, but they clearly were in a heavy, heavy makeout session. <gasps> Can you believe that would happen? <gasps> oh, I am I can't believe it. Can you believe that that would happen at a Bible college? Oh my goodness, I'm so shocked that that 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds at a Bible college could possibly have said desires. There's just no way that could happen. They're studying the Bible. Now they were quickly embarrassed and they're like, oh, oh, you know, they, they, they tried to play it off. Like, you know, we were, we were looking for something. You're like, yeah, we know, we, we know you were looking for something. Okay. Like just, just stop. Okay. Just stop. Like the whole thing was embarrassing for everyone involved, but that's, that's because you know what? That's the way it works. Nobody wants to admit that. Now, yes, we should take heed to it. And I believe the Bible is critical to our fight against it. But I don't want you to ever think for a second, I'll put it this way, all of the reading and studying of the Bible that you can do, it may help fight against, it may acknowledge the reality of what's deep inside of you, but it doesn't make the sinful nature go away. It does not make the sinful nature go away. And if you think it does, you're delusional. If you think salvation makes the sinful nature go away, you're delusional. And anytime you hear preaching in your church that seems to indicate or act like that, even though they may they may they may try to walk it back later, they're like, "You're set free." Well, I mean, you're not completely set free. I mean, you you can do it. I mean, you can't perfectly do it. When they start playing that game, wouldn't it be better if they would just be honest about the reality? And yeah, we should take heed to God's word. And I believe the Bible is absolutely critical in helping us fight against it. I don't think sometimes we truly believe that, but we should believe it. But I think that there's a limit in what it can and can't do. It cannot get rid of the sinful nature, which you were going to possess all the way till... Look, I, I, I'm going to get... Fi I know Christians are going to email me and say, you, you teach a powerless Christianity. I don't know what your problem is. Okay, well, no, my problem is I see reality. And if you, instead of emailing me, don't have to email me, just show me that you are sinless. Now, I want access to everything, though. I want I want I want you to have a Neuralink implanted in your brain where I can I, I'm not saying Neuralink works exactly this way, but I want to be able to see every one of your thoughts and your desires. I want to know what you're doing at one or two o'clock in the morning. I want to know your internet browser history. I want to see what you're doing online. I want to see what you're writing. I want to see what you're thinking. And guess what I'm going to find? You're just as sinful as I am. Maybe not the same sin. But every single one of us would stand embarrassed and full of shame if what's in us was shown and known to the world. You know it, and I know it. Now, I do believe the Bible 
is critical in fighting against it. But I think the Bible is first is because it's external and we take heed to it so that we can admit what's actually inside of us. Let me show you what this passage says. Verse 10. In verse 10, he says, With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandment. We ought to spend time searching through the Bible, finding the things that God says, and then with a readiness of heart to obey every command that God has given us. See, so often we are not people who operate by command. We operate by whatever we feel at the moment. And uh, surely God has given us some wonderful, wonderful mandates. He's given us some commands. And we ought to simply say, whatever mandate God has given, and I know this is God's mandate and command for me, I will do that. All that we would become commandment men, commandment women. We would become people who would say, by command, whatever God has commanded. And I'll dig through the Bible, search through the Bible, and I will find in the book whatever rules that God's laid down. Look, I challenge you to do that. Take a notebook. Label it God's laws and start making a list of every single commandment, every single rule, every single thing where you're told to do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Just start making a list. And then I want you to, after you make that list, you really should do this. Then I want you to look at that notebook and say, I am going to obey. You cannot obey all, you cannot. Any Christian who says you can, you're, they're out of their ever living mind. I'll start with the obvious one. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be ye holy as he is holy. You can't do that. And if you think you can, you cannot. You're going to fall short of them. Now, I got no problem seeking out all of the commandments. I got no problem knowing them. I got no problem saying I should. I am called to. I got no problem taking heed to them and acknowledging every time I violate them and confessing that before God and acknowledging it to myself. I got no problem with that. My problem is we have this idea that we can pull that off. We can't. That's why we're saved by an imputed righteousness. If we could pull this off, then, then we don't even need an imputed righteousness. If we could pull this off, we don't, we don't need anything. But we can't. I'm willing to follow those. And whenever you begin to do that, I think you'll find that you'll begin to experience some cleansing along the way. And then look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. Now you've seen. Now, I do believe that the, the word should be external, so we have to take heed to it. We got to read it, and then that we can acknowledge what we see. I do believe we should seek God with our whole heart, and we, and, but please note, we, and, then, and then we have to plead with God to help us not wander from his commandments. Now, the question is, does God ever truly answer that prayer? That gets into a whole issue, but the point is, we should truly want to seek God with our whole heart. We're never going to get there. But this next part, we have the, the external word, we do want to bring inside of us. 
by memorization. Because if it's inside of us, then hopefully it's it can act. Look, if I have to take key to it, I got to go open it and I got to read it. If it's inside of me, hopefully that will increase the likelihood that the minute I start feeling, thinking, and desiring that which is contrary, the word that is inside of me will be able to quickly say, uh, you, you're doing the wrong thing. You're thinking the wrong thing. So I do believe there's great benefit from that. Now, the question is, how well do we do it hiding God's word into our own hearts? You go to church. Now, I always ask you guys to do this. You guys never report back. But hey, tomorrow is church. Walk around church tomorrow and ask people, how many scriptures do you memorize per month? Or, or how many scriptures did you memorize in 2023? How many scriptures have you memorized in 2024? I will argue most of your church is not engaged in any systematic scriptural memorization. And we would have to ask ourselves, why not? Now, I, I try. I try. Oh, I've tried. I've tried even for this podcast, the Bible memory app. I tried to, to get people using that and I was using it and then I didn't. And then I do, I do poorly. I go back and forth on scripture memory. But it does seem at least according to the book of Psalms that this is a key element in fighting against sin. Now, the main, I think the main reason it, it's so important is just from a logical perspective. I got to take heed to it. So I'm reading it externally and I need it to be external first. But then once I understand what it says, hopefully removed from my own emotions and desires, then I need to memorize it, pull it inside because the problem is inside. So where the problem arises, which is inside, I need to put God's word right there so that the two can be in conflict instantaneously and I don't have to wait till I go open a Bible. So I can see the benefit from it. The actual discipline to do it. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. Seen it and heard it said, sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. And whenever you fill yourself with the Bible, and the Word of God is entrenched deeply in you, and you have it hidden deeply in your heart, there'll be times when the devil will try to lure you. But you'll say, "Oh no, oh no, Mister Devil, I can't go." And you'll be like, you'll do as Jesus did, and you'll quote a verse to him because it's hidden in your heart, and it'll help you to keep from following the devil. See, but once again, he puts the temptation externally. No, you need the word hid in you because the source of the temptation is inside of you. I'm getting frustrated repeating that. The issue arises inside of you. That's where the monster lives. There'll be times when the world will have its magnetic appeal, but you'll be able to say, no, I cannot do that because the word of God will give you something and you'll know that you the world has a magnetic appeal because you have a sinful nature who wants the world more than it wants God. Cannot do it. So the word of God is hidden in our heart so that we might not. See, God wants to spare us from sin, not just clean us up after the fact, but God wants to keep us from it as well.
And the fact that we have this old faulty sinful nature doesn't mean we have to keep tripping over ourselves and just falling into sin over and 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 over. I mean, there ought to be things that we conquer, that we get to the point where that we have absolutely conquered that rascal and it is a settled issue. Many times we live in the gray zone and we're not sure whether we want to go right or left. And we leave it open and up for grabs and we'll say, well, whoever bids the highest, if the devil bids higher than the Lord on a given occasion or if he makes it more attractive, then I'll do what he wants to do today. That's not the way we're supposed to do it. And so we hide the word of God in our hearts. Now, he says that we have a sinful nature, which I applaud. But he says we should, you know, we, we like he seems to acknowledge on one hand we're going to keep sinning. But then on the other hand, he says, hey, we should at least get victory over certain sins. Well, I got no problem saying that maybe we should get victory over certain sins. I got no problem over that. And again, from a practical perspective, there is great benefit from maintaining, you know, staying away from certain sins. There's great practical benefit. Okay, I, I do agree with that. My problem is we sometimes forget to understand it from a theological perspective. Great, you've got victory over three sins. You're still a sinner. You're still sinning. I got no problem acknowledging victory over certain sins, but don't allow the victory over certain sins to somehow mess up your theology into thinking that you or have now been set free from the bondage of sin, that practically you're a new creature, the old is gone and everything is new, because the reality is you're still sinning and you're still a sinner. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're only setting ourselves up for even bigger failure and disappointment. That's the reason I encourage you to read the Bible through every year. That's the reason I think you ought to find some verses and memorize them, even they're a little short, easy verses. You ought, to, you ought to find some passages of the Bible and commit some of them to memory. Hide it in your heart so that you'll be able to deal with and overcome and protect yourself against sin. Look at uh, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. This is a teachable, submissive spirit. Here is someone who says, Lord, teach me. Now here we are watching television, and the television advocates so many ungodly things. And if we take our admonishment and our teaching from just watching everything that Hollywood puts up, mercy, who knows what would happen. See, once again, he's putting the problem external. The problem is not Hollywood or television. The problem is the person watching the television. It's not, it's not that you're watching something that causes the problem. It's because you have the desire. It's in you. Christianity has this weird way of one hand, we teach total depravity. We teach a sinful nature. We teach it, we teach it, we teach it, we teach it. And then we turn around and seem to deny that reality. Look, to me, the sinful nature is one of the most important teachings of Christianity. To me, it supports the Christian worldview more than anything else. Look, I've said it so many times. If, 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 to me, one of the greatest arguments for me to believe in Christianity is because Christianity teaches me that there is a morality, which is God's word, God's law, and that I cannot keep it. Now, if I could just keep it, well, then I'd be like, well, I can pull that off. I don't, I don't need Jesus. No, I can't keep it. That's why I need Jesus. 
And, and the fact that I, can, I still cannot keep it seems to then indicate the proof in the, uh, of what God's word says about a sinful nature. But then we turn around and take what I think is one of the greatest proofs for the reality of Christianity. Hey, here's a law that, that, so, that if you say is not from God, it's a law written by men that men can't keep. I would think if we wrote it, we could keep it. But because that, no, it, it demonstrates that the law comes from God and that we can't keep it. Why can we not keep it? Because we have a sinful nature. So how are we saved? By an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. And then what is, what is the ongoing proof of that sinful nature? Is that even after I'm saved, I still can't keep it. But then it all, they immediately turn it into the, the external. Hollywood, if we just follow Hollywood, who knows where we would end up? Cain didn't need Hollywood to kill his brother. The people at Sodom did not need Hollywood to be committing their acts. Lot did not need Hollywood to come up with this great idea of offering up his daughters to be used sexually by the men of the city. His daughters didn't need Hollywood or anything else to come up with the idea of getting their father drunk and having physical relations with him. These sins in the Bible predate Hollywood. They predate rock and roll. They predate rap. They predate Madonna. They predate MTV. They predate the Beatles. They predate everything that we think is coming along that's going to destroy the world. This is it. No, it, it all predates all of that. And it all arises from the fall and the sinful nature. On the other hand, there are all kinds of people who would try to instruct you and give you direction and say, this is what you ought to do with your life. But if we will say to God, dear God, teach me, I want to learn, I want to be taught, then we begin to learn some things that will help us, that will let, uh, enable us to develop the caliber of life that would be becoming to the name of a Christian. So he says, Lord, teach me. Verse 13, he says, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. We begin to talk about the truth of God's word in our daily life. I mean, out there where we are, at work, at play, at all kinds of places. With my lips have I declared the judgments of the mouth of God. Somebody uses a swear word in your presence. How do you deal with that? Well, you can look at them and say, and you're a foul-mouthed rascal. Make an enemy out of them for life. You want to make enemies? That's probably the way you could do it. Or if somebody uses some kind of a word in front of you, I'll just... Bide your time for a minute or two, and then just as quickly as you can find a way to do it, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds later, say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Throw in a few other good choice Christian. Don't do that. If you're going to say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you're not doing that as a strategy to try to make someone who used a cuss word uncomfortable. Praising the Lord and hallelujah is not a strategy. You praise the Lord because you truly want to praise the Lord. You say hallelujah. Because if you're doing it just to try to make someone else uncomfortable, to me, that's taking his name in vain. And we're not supposed to do that. It's not a trick. Oh, oh, look, they said a bad word. Oh, 
Oh, praise Jesus. Now, see, that should make them uncomfortable. Now, what? What? No. They said a bad word. Okay. Life moves on, right? If they're saved, if they're a Christian, then you can be like, hey, I don't, you know, should you really be talking that way? Let no corrupt communication that proceed, proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying to the hearer and, and glorifying to God. Like you, you know, like you can then have a talk with him as a believer, but if they're an unbeliever, the last thing I care to do is clean up their mouth, right? The last thing I need to do is worry about the words they say. They need salvation. They don't need to be made to feel uncomfortable because they said a bad word. They need salvation. Sometimes Christians just want to clean up everyone because it'll make our lives feel better. We don't clean up people. We need them to be saved. All right, but let's see this strategy of saying this. Scriptural words. And watch the old foul mouth wilt a little bit. Watch him turn about 13 shades of pink and look at you and wonder. And you come into work on Tuesday, and uh, they say, uh, they say, man, this is a foul day. And you say, man, it's a wonderful day the Lord's made, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Man, it's great to be saved. You know, you say, man, the crowd I work with, they'd, they'd, they'd blow you right out of the place. Hey, listen, uh, you may have been on the side of being intimidated a long time. Why don't you play intimidator for a while? What does this have to do about being successful over sin? Now we're going to try to intimidate people? You've been intimidated. Now you be the intimidator. What? I'm just going to say things? Just What is the point in that? That's so pharisaical. That's so, ooh, look at my righteousness. Look at my good deeds. You say bad words. I say praise Jesus. You say it's a bad day. I say it's a great day. Look at me. Okay, now I eat. You know, how about you just live your life? How about you just live your life? How about you just do that? You try to live out your Christian life to the best of your ability, and you don't have to make it a show. You're not trying to prove a point. And how about instead of intimidating people, we love people? Oh, wow, what a crazy idea. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to love even my enemies. I don't know where it says go forth and intimidate. I know where it says to go and love. Just go ahead and stand your ground. Just go ahead and, and kind of, don't be obnoxious, but just go ahead and be who you are. You're, you're sitting at the table. They're all like a bunch of puppy dogs. The, the child's on the table. They dive in and get it. And while they're diving in, getting both feet in the, in the plate, you just very quietly bow your head, close your eyes for about 30, 40, 50, 60 seconds, which will seem like five hours to them. And when you finish, you don't look around to see who's looking. You just... Well, dear friends, we'll have to interrupt. And no, don't, don't do that. Look, if you pray over your meal in private, then by all means, feel free to pray over your meal in public. If you do not pray over your meal in private, do not pray over it in public simply to make a point. Prayer is not about making a point. Prayer is not about trying to be seen. Prayer is not trying to make everyone uncomfortable because they, I don't know, thought it was mealtime and they decided to eat. You're not, prayer is you're actually going to say something to God. If you're praying over your food and you're not actually talking to God, then you're just going through a religious ritual in order to draw attention to yourself, which is literally what Jesus condemned the Pharisees and Sadducees 
for. Now, I don't know what any of that has to do with being successful over sin. None of that has anything to be successful over sin. In fact, some of that to me is very close to actually committing the sin of spiritual pride and arrogance, self-righteousness, pharisaical attitudes, which Jesus thoroughly condemned over and over and over. If you pray over your meal, every single time, then by no means should you then refrain from doing it publicly. But when you do it publicly, you don't have to make a show of it, right? What do, I mean, it's, you're getting ready to pray over your food. I'm assuming what you're doing is you're acknowledging that all good things come from God and you're telling him you're thankful and you're grateful. And, and that's all you need to, you don't need to go, you don't need to turn it into a 45 minute prayer meeting. You don't need to say anything out loud. You don't even need to pray out loud. You can just, everyone bow their head and thank God for the food and you move on. And if you, and if you don't do that, I, okay. If you don't do it in private, don't be doing it in public. By no, because then, that, then you're just doing it to be seen. You're doing it to prove a point. Prayer is not a time to prove a point. Prayer is time to talk to God. And if, you, if, you've, if you've been praying over your food and it, now you're just... It's just kind of just, it does, it's meaningless. You may want to question it and stop it for a while because you're actually supposed to be talking to God. Now, none of that gave me any, any real keys to how to be successful over sin because again, he's already acknowledged that any success over sin, it means we're still going to sin. So he's not yet really even, he's not going to break any of that down. He's not going to get into all of those discussions. But here's what I would tell you to do. There's a part three Go look up Make the Differ- Make a Difference podcast. Making a Difference. Hang on. Making a Difference. And uh, if you can't find it, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. I think if you type in Making a Difference podcast, Sword of the Lord, or Making a Difference, Sword of the Lord podcast, you should be able to find it relatively easy on Google. And then you can then find it on your favorite podcasting app. Um, and then you can listen to part three for yourself. If you find something in part three that you desperately need me to cover, please give me the timestamp and the exact uh, what you want me to address, and I will then possibly just address that in uh, in that one. But I may just leave part three for you because at this point, I don't think I'm going to be able to say any. I, I've I've said everything I needed to say in part one and part two. In fact, it's becoming somewhat repetitive because it's the same repetitive arguments that I have against the way Christians sell Christianity and won't acknowledge the reality of a sinful nature and our inability. It always wants to promote an ability that we don't have because it says you have the ability and then they come along and go, well, however, you can't do this. Well, then you don't, we don't have the ability you just sold. We don't have the ability practically. Positionally, we're perfect. Practically, we're going to sin, 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 and we cannot keep the law of God. And if you think well, you can, I'm sorry, you're a liar, which is a sin. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to go find food because if I'm being honest with you, my stomach is telling me, my mind is telling me, I don't care about theology right now. I care about food and see that's probably a sin, and I'm committing it while I'm preaching because I'm putting probably my own physical need before the Word of God. 
So even there, I'm probably demonstrating that at this moment, food is probably my idol, all right? So, yeah, all right. Um, I'm going to make sure. All right, there we go. Thanks to those listening on Mixler. I appreciate it. And for those listening on Church One, I appreciate it. Everyone have a wonderful, great day. God bless.